All right, good morning again. Thank you again for allowing me to uh, take the time to present God's Word. I pray that I do so uh, accurately and correctly and according to His will and in His voice. Uh, last week, if you weren't part uh, with us this week, we, we began the book, uh, or began the, this little two-part series on being distracted by the crowd by looking at Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 34. And in that passage, we talked about five bold decisions we needed to make when we're distracted by the crowd. There's five decisions. If you uh, want to, I guess you can go back and look at that message, I guess it's online, uh, about those five bold decisions. But even when Jesus was going to the synagogue official's house, we ended with the bold decision, a woman with a hemorrhage, reminded us that we needed to make decisions to change our past and decisions to make us help us find peace in our life. Even though that was a powerful moment in that crowd, as Jesus was going with the synagogue official trying to get to his house where his daughter was laying ill, the woman reached out and touched his cloak, and she was immediately healed. And even though that was a powerful moment, we open up in Mark chapter 5, verse 35, and we realize he hasn't made it to his destination yet. And when we read this morning and look at this finishing in chapter 5, we realize that Jesus was distracted by the crowd and was delayed in getting to his destination. So what can we do? How many times has this happened to us? As a bivocational pastor, I, I mentioned last week that I was pastor of Pre Course on the Baptist Church for 10 years. All 10 years was in the bivocational ministry. I, always, I have a full-time job. Now I currently am a quality specialist over at Altorfer in Bartonville. Previously, I was a salesman for Fastenal, selling nuts and bolts. And I can remember this time as a salesman in Fastenal where I, where I made an arrangement, made a, a commitment to be somewhere, to make that sales call, is was, was going to, is making a new account with one of the hospitals in the area, an opportunity I've been trying for weeks to get there. Well, things got busy that day. Things got busy, things got going on, and I was doing my job, and I was distracted. And I will never forget it. I missed my appointment. So many times, and I, I'm convinced that to this day that I'd lost that account because I missed that appointment. Not that I was doing anything wrong, not that I was doing anything bad, but I was distracted by the crowd. I'll tell you now, my most important app on my iPhone today is the calendar. <laughs> it tells you, don't be late for that appointment. Don't be late. Time management is crucial. And I'm thinking about this as, as Jesus is walking to the synagogue's official house, trying to get there to make sure that they're not late, wanting to make that. And so many times we're distracted. Some things you may not know about me is I am a, a major MASH fan. The TV show is MASH. Anybody like the TV show MASH? Julie, you know, Julie does not like MASH. 
I love MASH, and, and one of my favorite episodes of, of MASH, coincidentally, happened to be uh, one that featured Father Mulcahy. Father Mulcahy was the priest of the 4077th. And in that episode, the Cardinal was doing a tour of the war zone, and, and he was going to present himself and present a message to the 4077th. And Father Mulcahy was really stressing and making sure he gave a real good message. I mean, he wanted to make sure it was top-notch. Well, just like in any other life, life in the 4077th was always busy. And he was distracted from his message. And he would get upset that he kept getting pulled away from his message, pulled away from preparing his sermon for that day. Well, that night before, the night before he's to give his message and he's still not ready for it, not prepared, one of the patients was suffering with the decision that he had to make in his life. And the patient realized that he had leukemia and he had moments to live. Well, in that message uh, that, uh, that we, in that episode, we were reminded that Father Mulcahy, he had to make a decision to stay with that patient all night long instead of working on his message. And sometimes what we're going to realize this morning and what he realized at that episode was sometimes those distractions delay us and give us the opportunities for miracles. As we look this morning at Mark chapter 5, verses 35 through 43, we're going to take three lessons. And we're going to receive those lessons when we learn when we are distracted by the crowd. We are going to get pulled every which direction. We're going to get pulled for, from every sorts of distractions. If you are a family with kids, you know how busy life can be. And by the way, any kids excited that school is back in session? No. No, there, there, nobody is jumping up and down for that. Parents, any parents excited? Yes, <laughs> parents are excited. But, but because school is back in session, we get, start getting pulled every which direction. we got events and, and activities and, and so much things. And sometimes, even as ministers, we get distracted. What kind of lessons can we learn this morning? Well, this is what Mark chapter 5, verses... 35 through 43 says, and I will be reading out of the New American Standard. You can follow along with whatever translation you have in your hands. And it begins with this in verse 35. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. Verse 38 says, They came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. They began laughing at him. 
But putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately, they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given her to eat. May we be blessed and encouraged and challenged by God's word this morning. So what kind of lessons can we learn this morning after being distracted by the crowd? I mean, after all, Jesus hears the plea. We went through it last week on on the pain and the hurt and and the grief and, and, and the shock the father has when you hear that your daughter is gravely ill and how urgent that need is and how courageous he has to step out from the crowd to go see Jesus, ask him to follow me. And Jesus follows him, and in that crowd and in that chaos, they are stopped by the women touching his cloak and is healed on the spot. And in that commotion, we're drawn to this opportunity in verse 35. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Talk about a gut check moment. A punch in the gut. And what I want you to know this morning, that even though we may be delayed, be delayed because we're distracted by the crowd, these delays provide the opportunities for miracles. They provide the opportunities for miracles. Even when we think it's impossible Think about what this says. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? In other words, it's done. It's finished. It's not worth it. It's not... Nothing is going to help anymore. So many of us look at our lives. So many of us look at our church and we say, you know what? It's not worth it anymore. It's over. It's done. But what we need to understand in verse 35 is that opportunities for miracles happen even when we think it's impossible. I'm telling you, don't give up today. Instead, hand it over to God. The synagogue official says, she has died, don't trouble him anymore. Jesus is going to say, don't give up. Don't give up, because opportunities happen even when we're scared. Opportunities for miracles happen even when we're scared. This isn't an easy process. Look what it says in verse 36. Jesus overhearing, and verse 36, I always love Scripture when it says, but Jesus. But Jesus. Jesus steps in. He's hearing all this. He's hearing the conversations. And Jesus says, hey, I've got an answer for that. You may think it's impossible, 
But don't think that opportunities for miracles are over even though you're scared. He says these words. He overhears them and says to the official, don't be afraid any longer. Don't be scared. Don't be afraid any longer. Only believe. So don't only just don't give up and hand it over to him, but don't be afraid. Only believe. You've got to replace that fear and and give it into hope and belief in Jesus Christ can do this. Don't forget what just happened. The woman with the hemorrhage for the past 12 years just reached out and touched his cloak. Just the hem of his cloak. And she was healed. If that can happen... Anything is possible. Don't be afraid, those who are scared. I know it's scary. I know it feels like it might be hopeless and, and there's no hope. But you've got to believe. You have to believe. Church, the day to believe is now. The world is full of unbelievers. Christ is looking for a church who has hope in Him. Don't be afraid. Because opportunities for miracles happen even when we're scared. And then look what it says in verse 37. Something we can probably all look over. And he says, And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And we think, what can we take out from this? I understand this context and I I can start to put together some feelings and emotions that's going in, especially from the synagogue official. He just heard, he came to Jesus thinking that he had hope that she can keep her from dying. But now he has heard that she has died. And now he's got to be an emotional wreck. His stomach's got to be a knot. He can't think clearly now. And all it says here, and, be, and be, he allowed, Jesus allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. The synagogue official had a plan to go get Jesus. But the plan's not going to work, right? Because she already died. Well, opportunities for miracles happen even when we don't understand. Because when we worry because we don't have a plan... Let me tell you, don't worry. Because Christ has a plan. Christ made a distinct decision in verse 37 that no one was to accompany Him except Peter, James, and John. For all those who follow the the life and, and, and throughout the Gospels indicate something significant about Peter, James, and John. Jesus had 12 apostles. Most of them were probably groups in three. And Peter, James, and John were those that were closest to him. We notice that he didn't invite Judas to come. I don't know why. Just an observation. That's all I'm making. He wanted those who were close to him. Because what he's going to do is going to be nothing short of a miracle. And it takes those who are going to be truly devoted, truly to follow Him. Now, I'm not saying that Peter, James, and John were perfect. Don't forget that that Peter, he started to fall in the water. And Peter was the same one that denied Christ three times. 
But he was looking for those who were committed. Those he knew he could trust at this moment, in this time. When the world doesn't understand, when the world tells us, give up. The time is to give over to Jesus. And say, I totally trust you. Because Jesus says, don't be afraid. Only believe. Can't help but think about that magic moment in the in the nineteen was it nineteen eighty Winter Olympics USA versus hockey USA versus Russia in the, in the quarterfinal game or semifinal game of hockey and the minutes the ten seconds count down when when the world didn't think anybody could beat Russia Al Michaels proudly proclaimed Do you believe in miracles? I hate to tell you, as much as I love sports, there's much more miracles that happen in everyday life, in everyday moments, when Christ comes in and says, all you got to do is believe in me. Delays provide the opportunities for miracle, and as we look in verses 38 through 40, we're going to realize that faith provides the ingredient for miracles. Faith provides the ingredient for miracles. Here's what it says in verse 38. They came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. Naturally so. The synagogue's official had died. If something happened to one of my kids, I would be doing probably the exact same thing. I would be a blubbering mess. I probably wouldn't even get up to Jesus, be able to say anything to Jesus because of, of the commotion that would be because how painful and difficult that time would be. As we're looking at that time, this moment, we realize that faith is always present in our darkest hours. Look back in your life. Those times in which we are in our darkest moments, our darkest points in our life, usually faith shows up. Now, the reality is not all of us have that faith in Jesus Christ. So our faith is going to be in something else. Some other God, perhaps. The famous quote says that there are no atheists in foxholes. Because in our darkest hours, we have our faith in something And we look at verse 38, we ask our faith to calm our commotion. We let our faith wipe our tears. Last week I talked about the, the distraction, the crowd, and the experience we faced at the Statue of Liberty. And I mentioned that those were two of my most scariest moments in my life. That one was being one of them. The second one was when I was pinned underneath the van. I'll share briefly what that means. Three years ago, I got a call right before church, right during Sunday school hour from a, a church family. It says, we got a flat tire on 474. Julie and Ruth were out of town for a sporting event. My parents were out of town for vacation. My in-laws were out of town for vacation. It was just me and Nathan. And if you know me, I, I've been around cars long enough. I've changed my fair share of tires. This should not be a big deal. We can do this. It doesn't matter if it's on the side of a road. We can change the tire. Not a big deal. We get there. And the Chrysler town and country has got a flat tire. And of course, I tell Nathan, I'll be real quick. And I take off my sports jacket. That's when I was still wearing the sports jackets when I was preaching. 
I took off the jacket and put it in there. I didn't want to ruin the sports jacket and I say, okay, this is all we got to do. Let's lift up the tire up. Let's get that tire off. Let's put the new tire on. Not a big deal with exception at the Chrysler Town and Country, you've got to read the instructions in order to take the spare tire out. The spare tire is pinned underneath the center console of the car. Me being stubborn and me being thinking that I've got this, I tried to take that spare tire off the car without reading the instructions, without following the distinct instructions on the handle that says, do not get underneath the car. And I was underneath the car and I was trying to get the cover off the spare tire. I pulled it enough that it rolled off the jack and landed right on my hip. And there was a commotion all around me. There was panic all around me. I'll admit, I I did scream because it hurt. But there was a moment when I realized my faith had to calm my commotion. The spare tire was literally a few inches from my head. I believe without a shadow of doubt, the only way that I survived that incident is because I was on my side and it pinned me on my hip. If I would have been on my back, I would have been smashed. been a lot worse. In our darkest hours, we can cry wailingly and we can have so much commotion or we can cry out to Jesus and allow our faith to overcome these darkest hours. Because faith is there in our darkest hours. It's there when we need it. And it's there all the time. And faith, as we look in verse 39, is victorious over our fears. Look what it says in verse 39. Entering in, he said to them, Why are you making all sorts of commotion and weeping? The child has not died, but is asleep. How can Jesus make such a bold statement? I'm of the belief that they know the event that they're experiencing. They know the circumstances that they see. They're experiencing, they know that she has died. They know that perhaps hope diminished and he's bold enough to say why are you crying why are you wailing why are you making such a commotion she has not died but she's asleep why does she say why does Christ say that because faith is victorious over our deepest fears Christ has already won the battle. Most of the fears we face are a direct result of not having enough faith in our Savior to get us through those fears. So they cry out. And they're wailing. And he asks, why make a commotion and weep? In verse 40, it says these words, they began laughing at him. Wow. Has, does anybody else just like, are you serious? This is Jesus. This is whom we, we know as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and we of his spirit, the synagogue official, experienced so much already. 
And they begin laughing at him. They begin laughing at Christ. So he says, he takes them all out. He puts them all out. Why? Why is this all necessary? We realize that faith is always present in our darkest hours. We realize that faith is victorious over our deepest fears. And we realize in this part of this passage that faith is a total commitment in our daily walk. I've heard authors say that you can't have a part-time faith with a full-time Savior. Jesus is always alive. He always has been, always will be. And He doesn't give up. Don't let your faith stop. Always keep going. We have to be committed with our words and we can't be laughing at the Savior. Jesus says, I'm going to do this. She hasn't died. She's, she's only asleep. How many of us act the exact same way? And I hate to say this, church, but sometimes the faithless in the church simply need to leave. Oh, that's a bold statement. That is a bold statement. Because they've been members for a long, long time. Jesus sees their unbelief. You know what he says? I can't have any of that here. Not here. Not now. Because a miracle is about to happen. And if you don't want to believe then you're not going to be a part of this miracle business. We all must believe in the same God. There is no room for doubt. If I can be so bold, if we look back at the history of our churches, we can probably see times when faith was required, but we were found faithless. And because we were found faithless, we never experienced the miracle that God had waiting for us. Church, faith is a total commitment in our daily walk. Do you truly believe in what Christ can do? You've got to be committed with your words. But just as more so, you've got to be committed with our actions. Look what it says there in verse 40. Or verse 39. Verse 40, they began laughing at him. Verse 40 says, But putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions. There are those few. Well, we can see probably counting on five plus himself that truly believe what he's going to do. They had no doubt. So he brought them in with them into the room. That's where our faith goes into play. We don't know how it's going to turn out. But when Christ says, come, follow me, we go willingly. Because we believe in what He can do and what He is going to do. Why? Because not only do delays provide the opportunities for miracles, and not only does faith provide the ingredient for miracles, but Christ's power provides the power. Christ provides the power for miracles. Look what it says in verse 41. Taking the child by the hand. That is a powerful image. 
when we think that we're finished, when we think that there's no hope, when our spiritual life is sitting empty and lifeless, Christ takes you by the hand. See, because Christ has the power of healing. He takes you by the hand with His healing touch. And let me tell you, He takes you by the hand just as you are. There's nothing that the the child could do to change her appearance or change her circumstances in order because she was meeting the Savior of the world just like us. God's not looking at us to change our appearance, change our circumstances in order to grab His hand. Christ reaches out His hand and He says these words and touches, holds her hand and says these words. Little girl, I say to you, get up. Christ has a healing voice. The power of Christ's voice. It can move mountains. And it can make the dead rise. Another example of Christ's voice raising from the dead was the story of Lazarus. What I love about that story about Lazarus is that I always share with the church that Lazarus was stinky dead. In other words, he was so dead, he stunk. And nobody wanted to go near him. You know what Christ did? He rises out and says, Rise up, Lazarus. Get up and come out. Just in the same way, Christ's healing voice calls out to us and say, Get up. It's time to get up. Christ has the power of healing. And that power of healing is the power of immediate transformation. If you study the Gospel of Mark for any length of time, you realize that immediate is a key word in the Gospel of Mark. The urgency, the immediacy. And in verse 42, it begins immediately. As soon as Christ rises and calls out and says, Get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. No rehabilitation necessary. They did, she didn't have to go to the three weeks of therapy. Christ told her to get up and it was an immediate transformation. And that's what Christ offers, is the power of immediate transformation. She was able to get up and walk. And immediately, they were astounded. Church. When was the last time we were immediately astounded by the power of gospel, by the power of Christ? If it's been too long that you can't remember, perhaps maybe we need to change where we are at in our spiritual life and draw ourselves closer to Christ because I still believe that Christ is in the miracle-making business. And he has a power of healing. He has a power of immediate transformation. And we see lastly in verse 43 that there's power, Christ's power, in our testimony. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. Wow, that's odd. 
I meant the most amazing thing to happen in your life occurred. And Jesus goes, shh, it's our little secret. <laughs> really? This isn't the only time he does this. There's other times when he says, make sure you don't tell anybody. Why? Because there's power in your testimony. And what Jesus knows is that as more people find out, especially of the chief priests and the Pharisees, they're going to pursue him. And they're going to seek to destroy him. And so we see at one time, we think, boy, that's very mean for him not to share, his te- share our stories. The other time we realize that he has to do that in order to protect his ministry. So there are more events of miracles to take place. What do we learn from this for now? There is power in our testimony. And the amazing power in our testimony, it's not testimony about us. If your testimony is about you, it's the wrong testimony. Because our testimony is not about us. It's about how God has worked through you in your life and has made an immediate transformation, has healed you of your sin, has forgiven you of your sin allowed you to walk in eternal life with Christ Jesus our Lord. How is that possible? All throughout the Gospels, we see examples of Christ's power. He has the power over evil spirits. He has the power over nature. He has the power over sickness, blindness, deafness, lameness, and any other physical condition. And even we see today, he has the power over death. But this question remains. What does that mean for me today? Let me share with you that it does not matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done. It does not matter if this is the first time stepping in a a church or it's the first time in a long time stepping in a church or if you've been in the church for the last 50 plus years. Because what we heard this morning is that Christ is still in the miracle making business and he has not given up on you. He has not given up on you. Do you believe in him today? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Life can change in a moment. If I understand the scripture, life changed for that family in a moment. That Sunday in July happened in an instant. And you have to face the reality do you believe in Christ or not? Do you believe that he is the king of kings? That he provides the power of miracles, even saving a sinner like me? This morning, as our musicians come forward, we're going to have a time of invitation. As I mentioned before, it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, your past does not define your present. Allow Christ to change your future.
But what has to happen is that you got to hold on to Christ's hand. You got to listen to his voice. And we need to follow. Surrender it all to him. I know it's scary. I know it's difficult because we're comfortable. But there is no greater decision to make this morning than to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. For if whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that He's still in the miracle-making business? If you need to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I'd be glad to share with you. If you'd rather talk to one of the deacons, I know they'll be glad to share with you the same way. Maybe we've been walking in our path and going through the motions of church and we forgot about the believing power of Christ. Maybe we need to make a rededication of our life. Whatever decision you need to do, I'm asking you to stand with me. We're going to have this song. Don't delay. You can